Hello and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host Tom Masters and our guest today is Joe Klimzeski. He holds doctorate degrees in nutrition and health education and pioneered macronutrient-based food intake tracking more than 25 years ago. He has helped build the personal nutritional coaching industry, and his company, The Diet Doc LLC, helps thousands of struggling dieters reach sustainable life change. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Joe, welcome back to the show. Um, So, as I mentioned in the first podcast, Joe just has two doctors in his spare time, physical therapists, then all sorts of stuff, education. But um, he and I started working together through a common friend. And as you know, with the doc journey process, why it's just a framework that hangs out known medical data in a way that people can access it, both clinicians and patients. So in the dynamic healing model, we have your stresses, we have your nervous system, and we have your physiology. And, and what we have realized that what dietary things can do, they can increase the resilience of your nervous system by um, decreasing inflammation. So he and I really cross, we really um, combine processes because you look at diet as one part of it, an important part of it. And Joe adds a tremendous expertise in diet and exercise part of it, which are both critical to the nervous system. So Joe, welcome back. I'd like to just start working on how your approach is different and um, because you use the word flexible dieting. <laughs> so I'm really excited to find out exactly what you do to um, to bring this concept to life. Okay. Well, thank you. Good to be back. And I'll, I'm going to take a little trip back to the early 1990s when I first started getting involved in nutrition from a personal perspective. And all that was out there, if you went into Barnes & Noble just, you know, this book, this book, this book on dieting, and they were all named approaches, the zone diet, Atkins, etc. And as somebody who had just gone through a lot of pre-med allied health education and was interested personally as a professional bodybuilder, I wanted to kind of reverse engineer everything and figure out when even a friend or a magazine article would say, hey, eat this food, eat this, this should be your breakfast, this should be your lunch, etc., why? Like, why do I have to eat that exact food? Why can't I eat something similar? So I just started reverse engineering it into macronutrients. Well, if this person says I should have six ounces of chicken breast, that has this much protein, carbs, and fat. So why can't I get that in something else? I I knew from a biochemical perspective, it would be the same result. So I started doing that for myself. And then a few years later, I found my career having purchased a small training facility, developed it into a really unique boutique wellness facility where nutrition consulting, physical therapy services, obviously a lot of things were pulled in together. And I had to, the uh, mother of invention being necessity, had to pull together some kind of pedagogical approach for my clients. I had these people coming into our facility. What was I going to do? I didn't have a named method So I had to create this process. And so I started giving them the suggested macronutrients where once you calculate what an appropriate energy balance and calorie deficit should be, here's why you need this much protein, this much carbohydrate, this much fat, 
we can kind of go through this week to week. And if you find yourself tilting one way or another because of preferences of any sort, that's fine. We, we'll figure that out. There's a lot of range that we can cover there. But the main thing, David, is it was very coaching consultant based. It was supported. They, they had somebody they could ask questions to. We could refine things. We could adjust as we wanted, test it and make some changes, retest where we had those results flowing in. So it was just a very guided coaching process. So then all of a sudden I was writing for a lot of the top fitness magazines and that was coming out in my content as well. You don't have to stick to a rigid diet you, or meal plan. You could, you could figure some of this stuff out. One of my first taglines was you can, you can eat the foods you like, you can eat carbs because we were in a very anti-carb phase of Atkins uh, you can you can eat in restaurants. You you have a lot of flexibility, so it became known as flexible dieting, and that just created a lot of freedom for people. And in that early stage, 25, 30 years ago, it was so novel that it was just entirely captivating. Flash forward to today, it has been so normalized. The average person has already tracked their macros. There are billion-dollar apps like MyFitnessPal owned by Under Armour. Uh, most people who come to me, they've already had a couple of coaches. So now that's old hat. And so we've had to, to, to make things a little bit more understandable. We've had to employ some better levels of understanding and application, things like, well, quantity is one thing, but so is quality. Flexibility is important, but so is structure. Just because you can be flexible doesn't mean every meal has to be different. And we need to look at some underlying health values, which gets back into the anti-inflammatory pro-health eating. So we've really come full circle in this 25, 30 year saga. And I, I feel like we're, we're pulling all of the tangents together. No, I'm excited about it. So we talked about, I want to differentiate two parts of the conversation. One is the anti-inflammatory part, which I don't want to spend too much time with versus weight loss. I actually want to spend time with both. They're obviously linked. But my, so I'm somebody who I would like to be your client. And I'm serious about that anyway. This isn't just talking on a show. So I honestly have tried to lose probably 10 pounds for at least 20 years. And so I... Um, I mean, and then, so there, there's that part of it. Then the anti-inflammatory part of it is, um, I, as you know, I had chronic pain for 15 years. I had seven different symptoms. I came out of it sort of by accident and I've been able to create what's called the DOC journey, director on care journey, which helps lower inflammatory markers in every realm, sleep, stress, exercise, you know, what you put in your brain, how you lower physiology and diet's a big part of it. And where we overlap a lot is we look at everything. You know, just look at the whole process that the main goal is to lower inflammatory markers. The essence of chronic disease is sustained level of inflammation. The essence of healing is lowering that, maximizing safety. And you obviously can't get rid of the threat physiology because you have to stay alive, but working on that is really critical. So let's talk about intermittent fast. So I always tell people, like, you don't have to lose weight. You at least can drop down your inflammatory markers. So let's just talk about the intermittent of the anti-inflammatory part of it, because I've actually had some coaching on anti-inflammatory diet. I can just let, let you delineate what that is, but also intermittent fasting has become a big deal of which I've had mixed results with. 
So my personal situation, I have really two terrible knees. I don't want a knee replacement. If I sleep, exercise, and eat correctly, my knees don't hurt very much. And in fact, the data shows that the degree of pain from arthritis has more to do with your stress, i.e. inflammation, than, than it does the severity of the arthritis. So it is remarkable if I just gorge myself on inflammatory foods, sugar, uh, my knees hurt. If I can be halfway decent about it, amongst other things, my knees don't hurt nearly as badly. So I have a very personal reason, both from a weight standpoint, to put less stress on my knees, but also to lower the pain in my knees, to lower inflammation. So let's talk about the anti-inflammatory part of it first. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on an anti-inflammatory diet. So first of all, it would come back to food quality, which when you get rid of sugar, trans fats, saturated fats, all of those are very inflammatory in how the body has to process those chemicals. Many of them just very toxic, to be honest. Um, but then also it, there is a hand in hand relationship with some weight loss, or at least being in a, even, even if it's a slight calorie deficit, because you go through this autophagic response of your body, just kind of having to get rid of unnecessary waste, tissue, body fat, lipids, fat itself is an organ. Uh, and so you have uh, inflammatory uh, chemicals that are released as you are increasing body fat cell size and so forth. A lot of that interplay in the neural gastric loop, including things like leptin and ghrelin hormones that increase hunger or satiety. So the average person who just starts losing some body fat, even if it's a very innocuous calorie deficit, you will, you will create a, a lower uh, amount of inflammatory products in your body and and you will start improving in areas you didn't even expect you'll breathe better you'll you'll not have those histamine reactions around your joints which creates arthritic pain and so forth so that's actually where intermittent fasting besides just the pop cult following has some merits um Going back to the 90s and 2000s, a, a person who created the, the, the body for life diet phenomena, he came from a bodybuilding perspective. So he all of a sudden culturally had everybody eating six or seven times a day, protein in every meal, protein shakes, chicken breast. So the natural pendulum swing back from that kind of grazing mentality was intermittent fasting. And it has some of its roots in paleo dieting and so forth, which as people, I think, kind of laughably talk about, well, this is how we should eat because somewhere our ancestors ate like this. I think that's a little evolutionarily ridiculous. But nonetheless, but by the way, our, our ancestors had scurvy. <laughs> right. And and they died, you know, the average lifespan was about 30 years old and so right. forth. So that I have to agree with you on that one. I just get really a little frustrated with that <laughs> rhetoric. But anyway, go ahead. But but there are actually some really good things about intermittent fasting in that research shows, first of all, you don't have to use what is now considered the traditional model, which is 16 hours of fasting and then having three or four meals in an eight-hour window. Research has shown that 12 and 12 is just fine, depending on your metabolism, your phenotype and exercise. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you have enough time between meals to empty yourself so that you get into that glucose disposal, that blood product cleaning physiology. And it, one of the things that's really important to understand is 
we, we tend in the West to be very tied to hunger cues. So the hypothalamus drives our hunger and appetite by hunger cues. And we've conditioned ourselves that when we feel that first little hunger pang, that, oh my gosh, it's time to eat. And that's actually the first indication through baroreceptors that your stomach is just simply empty. Phase three epigastric contractions are the same through the cardiac sphincter as they are the pyloric sphincter in your stomach. So just like if you are violently ill and you know through your emetic response, you vomit, it can be quite violent. You're, you're creating quite a stream from your esophagus. It, it, down at the other end in your duodenum, your body's doing the same thing to empty your stomach when the final stomach contents have been digested. And then we think, oh my gosh, it's time to eat. I feel empty. Well, your, your small intestine is where absorption takes place. So blood nitrogen levels, blood glucose is still going to increase for a couple of hours. We need to train ourselves and research shows this beautifully to learn how to monitor what's happening when blood sugar levels are starting to come down and we feel a little hypoglycemic or we feel the actual effects of lethargy and being empty from a blood chemistry perspective, not just that our stomachs are empty. So intermittent fasting inadvertently has trained more people to do that, to say, look, I'm a little hungry. Well, so what? It's not time to eat yet because I'm still in the intermittent part of my fasting. And so I'm just not going to eat. So that's where some structure, even some rigid structure can be helpful, even though that shouldn't be the end game. So the data does show pretty clearly that intermittent fasting really does lower inflammatory markers, correct? Yes. And we and there's two recommendations I've seen is one of them is to have um, a 12 or 13, 12 to 13 hours between meals. You you put your eating in about 11 to 12, 13 hours. The other one is just eating normally for five days and then fasting completely for two days a week, which I would personally have a hard time doing, but people do that. Do you ever recommend it? plan or do you does it is it just a matter of preference um you know certainly it depends on when you exercise if you're a morning or evening person it depends on your family structure when you have kids and so forth if if all things being equal somebody has a, a perfect choice research is so so clear that still eating in the morning is important there are so many metabolic and sleep circadian rhythm impacts to that and unfortunately, the average intermittent faster finds it easier to skip breakfast. I can get busy, get into my day, not eat till lunch. So they may eat from lunch till maybe a late dinner and feel like that's okay. It's so much better if you eat early and start winding down your food intake into the afternoon. And this is where that 12 to 13 hour window is just as effective as 16 if you are exercising or you're active, you're getting enough steps or neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis, then again, it just doesn't matter that you have a certain amount of meals and a certain amount of time. The, the, the thing that is helping everybody through this phase, David, is that it's just stopping people from mindlessly grabbing food all day long. Every time you're hungry, every time you pass an M&M, if you're sticking it in your mouth, that's going to increase inflammation. It's going to decrease your body's ability to tap into body fat stores as energy. And that's that's the main point to it all. 
So as far as that goes, so for instance, if you eat dinner early, like five o'clock in the afternoon or, five, or six o'clock at the latest. So the next, so what I've done, I've skipped breakfast like everybody else does. So I skip breakfast. Um, so you're saying that, and, and they're defining breakfast as something that you eat within an hour of waking up. Is that correct? I, you know, I don't even go that far. I, I personally used to wake up, shove breakfast down my throat, get out the door just to cross it off the list. Then one day I thought, you know, I'm not even hungry. Why don't I just wait until I get to work and, and wait till I'm hungry? So I typically eat maybe two or three hours, but I wake up at four in the morning. So my breakfast at seven is still pretty early in the day. But that's, the, you know, the main thing is just wait until your body's ready. So I think the plan after talking to you, I've also been reading this also where if I say eat dinner by six, then by seven o'clock in the next morning, that's 12, 13 hours, correct? So sure. skipping breakfast as the sole way of doing this is probably not a good idea. It's it's not it's not as good. It, it's it could still work, but there are there are benefits to you still eating early and then delaying food because you you want to go to bed pretty empty. You want you want four or five hours between your last meal and bed so that your your stomach and at least your upper small intestine is empty. So we may have to do, do, do another podcast here because I do want to spend quite a bit of time on your flexible dieting thing. But can you? We have about ten minutes left here. Can you? Just give us an overview about how your diet approach to weight loss is. We talk about flexible dieting. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's some structure, but I'm just curious if you just give us an overview of. I, I looked at your website and you have lots of different programs, mostly around coaching, et cetera. So, I again, I want to lose, well, let's say 15 pounds, 10 yeah. pounds. <laughs> what, what do I do? How do I, how do I talk to you? Which, how's your approach going to be different? Um, I've tried so many different ways so many times as like most people, I think I've sort of given up in a way. So you're my last hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll make it work. We will make it work. Uh, so the first thing to keep in mind is those two words, structure and flexibility. And I created a term called structured flexibility. Uh, in a metaphor I like to use as a brick wall, you know, bricks are structure, mortar is very flexible. You're not going to have a very good wall with just one or the other. So structure and flexibility go hand in hand. Proper structure should lead to very useful flexibility. So as somebody who I don't have any performance goals, I don't have necessarily a aesthetic or physique goals. I just want to live a healthy life and be be the best human I can be. So I still wake up and my routine is pretty much the same. I will change it from time to time, but we are all creatures of habit enough that the average person eats 80% of the time from a list of about 20 food sources. So I wake up every morning, I grab a cup of coffee, come to work, couple hours later, I have a half a cup of oatmeal with a handful of dried berries, a little bit of flaxseed oil and a scoop of protein powder. So that's my breakfast. And then I intentionally, no matter how I feel hungry or not, I make sure I'm waiting about three and a half to four hours. So I know that first meal is cleared. And then it's then I'm going to have what I would call my lunch. And that varies from time to time, just kind of depends on what I what habit I get into. Uh, right now, to be honest, it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, Trying to eat a little bit less animal protein, but sometimes I will 
meal prep, some ground lean turkey, some rice and vegetables. And that might be my, I'll, I'll bring all of that to work. So I have it in the refrigerator at work and I just get the right amount every day for lunch. Then typically I, my workout is midday. So I'll have a pre-workout meal, which would be either a, a granola bar or a, another piece of fruit or something like that. Post-workouts, I'm going to have a protein shake or some Greek yogurt. And then I'm going to go home and have a dinner. Whatever my wife is making is going to be pretty healthy. But that's you can just count on that being my day until it can't be. If I have to go to lunch with a client or I'm traveling, my life doesn't get upended. Then I just start to have to use flexibility. And, you know, I, I will eat whatever's of, I will make the best decision wherever I'm at, at an airport, in a hotel, at a dinner, somewhere else. And, but my mind is on the amounts. Well, I've had this already today. What do I really need? I'm instantly thinking through the language of nutrition, which is numerical. You know, how much do I need? What is in this food in front of me? Because that you, you can't unlearn that. Once you know what's right for you, the, the quality aspect should just be part of your value system. That has to be part of who you are nutritionally. I'm not somebody who just eats McDonald's French fries or, you know, as soon as somebody's not looking at me, I'm binging on ice cream. That's just not me because that's not my value system. So the, the quality and the quantity go together. As a client, David, we would, of course, go through an intake process where I'm going through your habits, your social schedule, your occupational schedule, what you prefer, how you like to eat. And I'm going to do some analytics, your, your age, your, your gender, your, your weight, your, your height, and so forth. And I'm going to make some conclusions based on body mass index and energy need. So I'm going to say, David, with your goals of losing 10 pounds in this amount of time, let's shoot for this calorie range. Within this calorie range, which has a built-in calorie deficit, here's how much protein, carbs, and fat I think are going to be the most helpful. Within the preferences you've told me, I'm going to try to use as many of the foods that you like on the high quality end, and I'm going to construct a sample meal plan. So now we have the roadmap, which is the, the numerical value of the food. We'll talk about when to eat because we do want, it's, it's not intermittent fasting, but we want a meal schedule that's going to work physiologically. There, there's something called the metabolic switch. If you want to look at some research that really gets to the foundation of nutrition, look at the metabolic switch, which is what your body goes through from phases of eating into postprandial states where now you have to rely on internal energy stores, blood glucose, liver glycogen lipids, et cetera. So I'm going to get all of that laid out for you. And I'm going to say, okay, David, here's now, you know, our first week isn't about being perfect. Here's a sample meal plan. You don't have to eat this every day because I want you to learn how to make exchanges. One day you may eat three times. One day you may need to eat five times. One day you may have a grandchild's ball game you got to go to and you're eating at a concession stand. All of these things have to factor into staying as close to the quality and quantity of food, flexibility and structure. And let's just go through one day at a time together, see what questions arise, because many will. 
and what kind of obstacles or challenges you may encounter, and let's work through those. And, and the reason I leave some of that, David, up to the coaching process to be organically explored together, a coach makes a mistake by saying, hey, David, here's a 72-page ebook I wrote for my clients. Here's everything you need to know about nutrition on day one. You know, good luck. Because you don't know what you need until you need it. So to me, personal nutrition coaching has to be a very high-touch, high-service model. And you give the most important building blocks initially, and then you move them around on the board and you construct something together that works. Because we as a society don't have a problem losing weight. We can all lose some weight. It's keeping it off that's the right. real trick. So learning that with the food you like and within your own lived environment is critical. Yeah, no, you're right. And the thing is, is about sustainable. You just want to quit. You don't want to keep thinking about dieting because again, think about dieting every time you eat takes away from the joy of eating. And you just want to create joy. And I also know from other parts of my project where behavioral patterns always win. So it sounds like you're trying to create some behavioral patterns. By the way, Joe and I are working together. So on the doc journey, um, we have access to Joe's coaching, the diet doc. And so we're planning. So where the doc journey comes into play is that we work a little bit more on sleep. We work about ways of dropping down anxiety. Um, food works really well to quell anxiety. Well, there's other ways to do that. So we work in other aspects of the whole inflammatory process those ways of stimulating the vagus nerve, et cetera, that actually drop down inflammation. But sort of catch 22, that as you drop down inflammation, you're more likely to engage the behaviors that drop down inflammation. Whereas on the other side of the curve, when you're behaving in a way that increases inflammation, your capacity actually to implement what you need to know is compromised. So it's behavior, 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 because your cognitive mental functions don't can't counteract your behavioral patterns. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, and you made you made mention of something there that that the the resilience you build. So one of the things I failed to mention is yesterday I also went to see Oppenheimer. I had some movie popcorn. We went out to dinner. I had a glass of wine with my meal. When you eat healthy and you're in a pattern of being in a very anti-inflammatory, low threat state then small indulgences like that just don't negatively impact your life or your body that much. You, you learn to factor those in and you can enjoy life. So you don't have to feel guilty about having popcorn. No, matter of fact, because I had a certain amount of popcorn, I ate less at dinner because again, my mind, I can't unlearn the fact that right. there is a quantity element to this as well as quality. So um, Joe, thank you very much. I We'll do another podcast. Go into some really some more details about the whole um, dieting approach. This is really helpful. So the keyword is structure and flexibility, both behavioral patterns. Um, so as you access the doc journey, there's several touch points where you can use this as part of your journey. And again, emphasizing that chronic disease in general, not just chronic pain, is a complex problem with multiple layers to it. So a lot of programs really emphasize dieting alone as a solution for almost everything, and it just isn't. Is it an integral part of things? Absolutely. As a surgeon, it's been incredibly humbling for me to realize how critical diet actually is. I mean, we honestly are just not taught this in medical school anywhere close to what we should be. 
So I've developed a new appreciation for the whole role of diet in general. So Joe, tell us how we access your services. Again, if you're on the Doc Journey course, you can access it through the course and it's, it's mostly a coaching model. And Joe, how do we access your materials? The Diet Doc, D-O-C, thedietdoc.com is our central website. At Joe Klimzeski is all of my social media. And uh, I think you can find me there easily. Okay. Well, Joe, thank you very much. I'm excited about working with you. And we, we have a lot we can teach each other. So I'm really excited about the collaboration that we're, that we're doing together. Likewise, I am thrilled, Dr. Hanscom. I'd like to thank our guest, Joe Klimzeski, for being on the show today and explaining in detail how his approach of structured flexibility works to have a healthy diet and a healthy life. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.